Sharpen That Axe, a podcast dedicated to strengthening your skills as a guitar player. Uh, my name is Dylan Murphy. With me, as always, is my co-host, John Gillen. John, how are you? Doing all right. Staying busy. Yourself? Good. Yes, same. I have uh, entered my fourth decade of life uh, since our last podcast. So, Oh my gosh. Holy cow. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, that's what right. What a milestone. milestone. Older, wiser, fourth? 30. Did you, did you say fourth? Fourth, fourth decade, but I'm yes. 30. You know, yes, yeah. exactly, because yeah. zero go. to 10 is your first one. That's it. Right. Got it. Welcome, everybody. Let's not discuss my age anymore. Um, <laughs> You'll be dead uh, soon. That's I know it. from experience. Yeah. The sweet embrace of death. Um, so, yeah, we are uh, two guys who talk about guitars uh, and guitar playing as, as a whole. So there is probably, you know, there's probably loads of dudes talking about this on on. on podcast but we, we've been doing it longer so john <laughs> uh, john is a, a guitar teacher um academic and uh, all-around good guy from colorado and i am a um less experienced more uh fumbly guitar player from galway ireland and uh we uh, we talk about guitars so yeah so we've got a lot of things in store for you today sorry i'm just rambling it's been a while since you've done an episode and i've had a lot yes of and that's uh, it's very dylan is very good at the irish self-deprecating thing so yes dylan is is a singer songwriter several albums under his belt just released a new single looking to do gigs here again as soon as covid <laughs> lets you gig so John, experienced in, in cover bands and all the other fun stuff so i've been around the block i'm 30 years old now okay yeah, don't don't let his false humility just i don't know if it's false humility but don't, don't, don't let to his self-deprecating humor Fool you into, yeah, into thinking he's <laughs> so, not as good as he is. Okay. Anyway, so on we go to the we podcast. Go to the podcast. We're here about five minutes later. So yeah, so this episode, we're going to be talking about the blues, why you should learn it, should you learn it as a whole, who are our favorite players, who do we think is a little bit overrated. Um, yeah, that is going to be our main topic. And then we're going to talk about what we've been working on, that all chestnut but right now we're going to go into my lick of the week which uh, i think it's my turn this time it might have been my turn last time as well but you know we take these things week by week so uh john <laughs> have you go. got it have you um got it loaded up i have i have let's okay see. here we go let's Thanks. do it Okay, it's the cure. It is the cure. It is the cure. Well done. Just like heaven. Very good. Well, that, yes. So yeah. So yes. This is uh, off their 1987 album, the most cure titled album ever. Kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> third single, um, widely covered by a number of artists, uh, which I'll touch on in a in a few minutes. Um, but yeah. So I, I I really I wanted to pick something. So I got uh, really really nice headphones for my recent birthday. Uh, I got. Uh, let me read the title here. Bear Dynamic uh, DT770 pros which are They're fancy 
fancy. So I've been essentially making playlists of songs that I really wanted to really test out just how good these babies were. And uh, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole of, of uh, My Bloody Valentine and a few other kind of like really shoegazy stuff that really kind of like pushed the headphones to the limit. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I went down a bit more like earlier alternative 80s stuff because that was the stuff that I was very much raised on and I was like are there any like real guitar lines that stand out to me because back in this period of music it was really much very much about attitude rather than proficiency and Mm -hmm. songwriting was kind of coming to the fore and I think The Cure are a really really great band for what they do because they're they're fairly unique in terms of what they were doing back in the 80s um they there's a real focus on melody you know everybody knows love cats and boys don't cry but they were really good singles band but also a brilliant albums band it's really weird that you know with disintegration and pornography you know they 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 covered so many grounds and of course (laughs) i can only name robert smith they probably have had like seven or eight different incarnations since this oh yeah but i picked just like heaven um for a few reasons one being that the cure were all about the song you know it wasn't about showing off it wasn't about um virtuosic playing or even like you know you know, fancy guitar tones or anything it was all about the song and i think that just like heaven is a really well produced song guitar wise because there's like four guitars playing but that specific line really takes the song to another level in terms of like leading you on a little journey before the vocals come in and then it comes back later a few times it's a really great like motif um, I, I suppose it's a riff, like it goes on a bit longer than a standard riff. Yeah. But I, I, I really like the, you know, the kind of jangliness, the the way that it's very of its time, but it doesn't really date it. You could kind of come up with that now in terms of like a riff. So, right. uh, yeah, I, I really, li- I really, really like this song and how this riff is used. And it's very easy. It's very simple, but it's also it very much takes the song to a next level. So that's. That's why I picked this song. John, any thoughts on The Cure or this kind of alternate rock, late 80s? Yeah, so I I was kind of of surprised that you picked it. I don't usually think of The Cure necessarily as a guitar band, but when, like you said, of the time, it's really chorusy. Like, you know, this is a Fender with lots of chorus, you know. (laughs) In a lot of ways, I think of like Adam Sandler and The Wedding Singer, you know. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) When I think of The Cure. (laughs) Somebody kill me, please. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, However, I do think it's, I think it's interesting just their, uh, this is really, it's really a pop song for a band that kind of has everything leading up to it that's very, you know, I kind of goth, sort of nihilistic, you know, it's yeah. kind of, so it's a really, it's funny that this is one of the songs that I think The Cure is really known for, at least in, in from my perception of The Cure. It's, yeah. uh, and they, they kind of have this big success in that time period and sort of as the early nineties come in, like, you know, they, they kind of fall off and I'm not really sure why, if that makes sense. I think it's because during the eighties you had a lot of, you know, kind of the, the goth thing was a big thing. And um, yeah, so I'd, I'd say, I think it was just the thing that 
popular music as it was, you know, alternative music all pointed towards grunge, you know, mm-hmm. e- everything, you know, you take everything from the late eighties and you know, the, the, the goth stuff, the cure stuff, the, the hair metal, the everything, it's just all kind of dissolved and grunge just came to the fore. Grunge mm-hmm. like changed everything. And the cure kept going. Like they still put out albums. They were very much, you know, still kind of relying heavily on the older stuff. Um, but they they were still going, like they were selling out tours in Ireland really recently and putting on these three-hour stage shows where they played everything. And people were like, it was brilliant. They just thought it was really, really good. And, you know, they had the lights and they were really, they still really seemed to give a damn. You know, yeah, just that's happy cool. to be there playing their hits, which is, I find really refreshing because, you know, mm-hmm. you've got like the In It For The Money reunion tours that they just didn't really seem to do. Or the people and, who were just burnt out on playing the hits too, you know? Yeah, exactly, so it's yeah. cool that they still, they still appreciate that. I think that listening to the records, you get a sense of how important important mixing was during that time period and how much people were playing around with those ideas of reverb and chorus and kind of what you could do to create space. I've always felt like The Cure do a really good job of really creating a lot of space. It feels like you're kind of in a big dark room and the band members are like scattered across (laughs) this room, each one of them with like a solo spotlight, like shining on top of them, not in front of them, of course. Like, Every ambience. Yeah. And so I think it's really interesting to listen to how those records are mixed and and how you can get those different perspectives. So it's um, not necessarily what I would think of originally for a guitar thing, but this is also a really, this is a really memorable hook. It's something that as soon as, as soon as I heard it, I was like, Oh, it's, it's that song. How do the lyrics go? And then they would go through the lyrics and be like, oh, yes, that's right. This is the name yeah. of the song. So you can't take anything out of this. Like you can't, it all fits perfectly together. It's like a beautiful jigsaw of a song. Yeah. Fascinating. Cool. Also, if you didn't have, didn't have The Cure, you wouldn't have Smashing Pumpkins. You wouldn't have Marilyn Manson. You know, you wouldn't have, mm. I'd say they were like a massive influence on Nine Inch Nails as well. So yeah, really, really great band to have. And we also have them to thank for emo rock, which, you know, less said about yeah. that, the better. <laughs> <laughs> so John, we were, we were thinking of like, we, we haven't done a podcast in a few weeks and we were thinking about like what topics to do and you brought up the blues. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, was there anything, was there any catalyst, anything that sparked this idea to talk about blues guitar playing as a whole? Well, I think blues seems to be one of the things that gets people into guitar, particularly people who maybe like did not get into it when they were younger. Usually a younger player sees somebody playing and goes, holy cow, I want to do that. And it's, it tends to be kind of like over the top type stuff. And the blues is not something that necessarily younger people always gravitate towards. It's a little more blues based rock or rock and roll or um, you know, some of the classic rock stuff that maybe their parents or their, you know, uncles or something like that are listening to. Um, and that, that turns them on to something else or even sometimes pop music where they hear a part and they go, Hey, that's cool. But I think for probably it seems like the vast majority of people who are a little bit older or who maybe they started since then, they've kind of got into the blues. And the blues tends to be something I think people find a little bit later in life. Um, yeah. Because, and I don't know if that's the lyrical content that speaks to a little bit of experience in life that you just don't have when you're 18, 19, 20. Um, 
and, and maybe that's part of it. And I think there's a certain emotive aspect in blues that I don't want to say is lacking in other genres, but um, is maybe more on the sleeve in blues, particularly yeah. in the licks, you know? Since I've had a lot of students coming through asking questions about it, how do you play it? Um, and even, even that, I think it's important to realize where a lot of the music we listen to comes from and how that is developed, including jazz, blues. Uh, jazz develops a lot out of some basic blues stuff and, and having an understanding of, of the timeline for our music, particularly as guitar players. So, Yeah, it's a really interesting point. Yeah, the whole thing about kind of coming to it a bit later in life, I think blues is is, is all about emotion like it's it's <laughs> it's yeah. the only genre that's kind of named after like how you're feeling when you're supposed to be playing or singing it um yeah so and i think as well it's you know blues is a massive umbrella term there are so many right. different styles of it there's so many different you know it's it's kind of quintessentially american in that i mean you had you have like great english players like Clapton or you know um Albert yeah just like you know, amazing players yeah from from both sides and from like beyond as well like even Ireland like you know I think one of the best blues guitar players in the world Roy Gallagher you know right he, he was very much influenced but it all comes back to this early kind of 1920s and 30s this really slow Robert Johnson mm -hmm. uh, this influence and then I think that, you know, for, for a long time, it was very much like a, a something you come to later in life until you get bands like the White Stripes and the Black Keys that were mm. kind of took this to a new level and, and changed what it was about. And suddenly everybody wants to learn, oh, is Seven Nation Army a blues song? It's not too far off it. It's it's yeah. very simple. It's very hummable. It's got like two, there's two parts to it. And um, it's very, you know, it's, very easy to learn in terms of like a guitar melody as opposed to say classic rock or right um yeah or even like rockabilly or something like that um but yeah so do you do you have so do you have younger people coming to you wanting to learn it as a as a genre or what do they want to learn exactly uh, i mean so usually when what i do with the blues there, there's a few different things one of the things is so the blues like i said tends to be one of the foundational elements in a lot of rock stuff. And so, and it's one of the easiest things for people to start wrapping their head around like a 12 bar blues, which just to clarify, maybe there are some people out there who don't know what that is. Um, the simplest form of a 12 bar blues is gonna be four bars of the one chord, and then it's two bars of the four chord, two bars of the one chord, and then it's five, four, one, and then it's kind of either one or five. I usually yeah. prefer the five at the end of that turnaround just because um, it's really easy for students especially to get lost. I know I did when I was younger because you end up yeah. playing six bars of the one chord and you're just like, I have no idea where I am now. And you're looking at the <laughs> bass player going, I hope you know where you're going because I'm so lost. <laughs> oh, we're on the four, okay, all right. Now I know where we are. <laughs> like. Um, one of us can count yeah i uh, th that's it and that's that's one of the fundamental things you learn though at the start wouldn't you say like as a teacher I yeah i think so it's um so just just being able to play the blues or play play something simple like a 12 bar and eight bar blues and understand a lot of those basic concepts of music are really easy to communicate in blues and i think this is part of why blues is 
a became such a popular genre and and so influential in everything else that we do is because of these forms that everybody learns the uh, usually like the eight bar and the 12 bar and those concepts that are nestled in those things. It's such a great vehicle for communicating music. And you know, the blues is born out of things like spirituals and um, you know, and that's, I, I want to be careful with that because the spiritual stuff leads into gospel and gospel is a very different genre very than blues. Different. But um, when you're looking at kind of the history of the blues and how it evolves and comes out of uh, things like slavery and that sort of thing, and, and these traditional, like what they would call blues verses, yeah. it becomes a way to communicate musical ideas orally, which is really important, particularly in a place like the South where, you know, early 1900s, not everybody can read. So... <laughs> just being able to communicate this musical genre in simple terms and that people can understand and people can play along with. And it becomes something that I think the blues is interesting because it's something, if you go to a blues jam session, every single person knows how to play a 12 bar blues. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you can sit down and you can say, all right, 12 bar blues E and you can go. And yeah. Everybody knows what to do. And that's what's amazing about it, I think. So while it's not necessarily my favorite thing to listen to, I think as something that is teachable, is something that gives you a connection with other people. And even with a listener to someone who is unfamiliar with the blues, you can play them some blues licks and people think like, oh, wow, that sounds really good. <laughs> so you, you don't have to be a wizard in order to make it sound good. Um, yes. And it, you just have to be able to play it with conviction. So that doesn't, not to say that blues players are less talented or anything like that. That's a whole different, like they, they perform on a different level than say the student who can just play some pentatonic licks and make it sound good. Um, yeah, that's an interesting point. I think that it's you, blues is really interesting in that you can. Uh, Jack White had a, a a quote that kind of ruffled a few feathers back in the day. I think it was just after Elephant was released, um, the kind of really breakthrough White Stripes album, and he was like, "Blues solos are easy. That's why it makes the blues so good." And I think it was you know it was this kind of typical provocative statement, but I I think. The, the technical proficiency and the ability to kind of actually convey real authenticity through your playing, you know, there's really, it's, there, there's a real difference between that. And I think that's what really separates people um, in terms of playing. I mean, so one of the things that really, I, I, started, I kind of refreshed my blues chops, so to speak, uh, last mm -hmm. year. Um, when I went, I, I was looking through Justin's, Justin Guitars, um, videos and he has a really nice course on the blues if anybody's interested in terms of breaking out what notes work where in what part of a 12 bar blues song and essentially what it is is it's all chord tones like what yeah. what you know what you know don't play this here like what notes sound terrible as well and it, it kind of retrained my brain because you can't just go from like you can't play a pentatonic Mm -hmm. or a blues for a whole 12 bar blues you, you can't there are yeah. rules you know and a lot you know i completely kind of forgotten about these things you know there are certain notes that just don't work 
And I think that's what really separates a good player is knowing what the rules are and being able to kind of tweak them to fit your own personal style. That's right. what um, I think that's what some of the best players do. So talking about players, <laughs> um, I, I think it's, there are some players that I love but also kind of dislike for some different for different reasons and that's mm-hmm. because what they've done has been watered down over the years so heavily um and i'm just talking about steve ravon <laughs> because steve ravon yeah. is Okay, so yeah, the the um, elephant in the room. Uh, so Steve Ray Vaughan, like his, you can see where his influences were. It's a, he's a massive Hendrix guy, um, Albert Lee, Buddy Guy, like these. You know, he, he basically took what they were doing and kind of brought it to the next level in terms mm-hmm. of his playing and his kind of showmanship and his uh, just his you know his cover versions are are incredible as well. Very, very much like Rory Gallagher in that respect, I suppose. But what he did was has just been taken and ugh, it's it's hard to say. I think that John Mayer owes his career to Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. Um, you know, it, without Stevie Ray Vaughan, John Mayer would have released one, maybe two albums of kind of mediocre pop rock and kind of just mm-hmm. faded away. And it's the blues thing that appeared on Continuum, which, you know, John, John Mayer's an, an incredible player in what he does. And he has a really good feel and he's clearly studied the greats. But I think that Steve Ray Vaughan and then John Mayer has led to this kind of generation of very average blues players who are just trying to kind of and you know <laughs> i'm not the best blues player either but i can kind of recognize that i'm, I'm not trying to fake my way into like a blues rock career i'm right. just saying that it's just very um it's all become very derivative in in some in some musical circles uh in terms of like just having a stratocaster and putting your name on it <laughs> and um you know I, I don't know it's what what are your thoughts on that or do you have any um, I, I think, yeah, so the players, things getting watered down. I think it's very, uh, partly because I think the blues is, like Jack White was saying, and as I said, at, at the heart of things can be very simple. Um, it's very easy for people to assume it is simple and that there's not a whole lot going on. And I think in some ways that's, that is where things get watered down because unless you're kind of doing the deep dive and you're going back and you're listening to people like Muddy Waters and Robert Johnson and Sunhouse and like Howlin' Wolf and all of these guys from like the, you know, their earliest recordings are in the twenties and the thirties. Like there's, there's such a difference in each one of these guys and how they play and really do your, you know, do your due diligence and homework and listen to those greats and learn from them. Um, And it's, it's easy to sort of like pick Hendrix and Steve Ray Vaughan and call that the blues. And you kind of end up like an early Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Now to give him his due, I think he has spent the latter years of his career actually working on his craft a lot more. Um, I think early Kenny Wayne Shepherd stuff is a lot of flash. That's basically, just rooted in Stevie Ray Vaughan likes. Yeah, he was. That's a good. That's a good note. Actually, I completely forgot about that guy. Yeah, <laughs> as you know. Yeah, I think it's. I think that's part of it. I think blues gets watered down with, and and you have people like Joe Bonamassa who knows his way around the fretboard, but who is 
boring to listen to. I'm sorry. That's, that might offend some people that are listening to this, but I genuinely find him kind of boring. And the reason is I just, I feel it's, it's repetitive. He to me is sort of like the Yngwie Malmsteen of um, <laughs> blues. And, and the reason I say that is Yngwie is a very talented player. He plays very fast. He knows his fretboard. But all of his records kind of sound the same. Yeah. And I feel that way about Joe Bonamassa. You know, and that's fine if, if you feel differently. I know you don't, but I know if some of our listeners feel differently. Like, I get it. I get where you're coming from on it, but that's me. Um, however, you have people like Josh Smith out there oh. right now and uh, who are just, they're taking things to a whole new level. Um, they're incorporating different chord voicings that you would normally not see and ideas that go beyond in some ways what we might consider the traditional vocabulary and expanding these concepts and ideas to incorporate them in a more blues setting and I think it's brilliant I think it's absolutely brilliant to listen to what he's doing as well Um, and so there's there's people who are coming out now that are Doing great things with the blues, it's worth checking out. It's worth listening to and expanding your horizons a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I highly recommend if you do not know where to start with Josh Smith, he has an album called uh, Live at the Baked Potato or Live at the Spud, um, which came out, I think, last year. Um, yeah. It is incredible. It is like show-stopping blues. It is like the most exciting blues album I've heard in a very long time. And Dave Keery, actually, the producer who I worked with last year, he was the one who took, turned me on to him saying, I, he, I was like, oh, you know, how was your weekend, Dave? And he was like, oh, I went to Hamburg to see this guy, Josh Smith, play because I heard he's so incredible. And I was like, who's this guy? He's like, oh, you got to listen to him. So, yeah, uh, it's, but it's, it's that one of the things I really don't like about uh, about Bonamassa is that he he very much there's a lot of grandiosity in what he does mm-hmm. in terms of the, the band is really big he has all these different singers and what separates him and Josh is that Josh just brings it down to guitar bass drums which is my bread and butter which is what I really really like um, it's it's basically there's and no to there's, me that's really that's really the heart of the blues like like yeah. all those all those guys I mentioned at the um, you know kind of the founders of it it's just them and a guitar, man. Like that's yeah. it, you know? And yeah. then as you get a little bit further on, you start getting the roads in there, or a B3 and like, yeah, like, that's kind of it. It's like you have, you have guitar, bass, drums, and then organ and you're set, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Reel it in. Yeah. Um, apart from that, there are like other players, modern players. I mean, blues is very much not dead. It's very much a, an alive art form that's constantly being pushed to uh, kind of new places. And one player, which I, I mentioned briefly before we started recording is, um, so it's Chris, uh, Chris Ingram, I believe is his name, Chris Stone Ingram, or he is known as Kingfish. And mm-hmm. he is this um, young player. I think he's like 21. Um, who, where is he from? I'm just checking out. He is from Mississippi. And uh, yeah, so he played with Eric Gales, who's another kind of well-known modern player. And then you've got Buddy Guy, who's like a living legend. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's played with, who else played with? Oh yeah, the Tedeschi Trucks Band, Great Blue stuff as well. well. Yeah, both of those players, by the way, are monster players. Yes. Uh, if you haven't seen uh, Derek Trucks doing that solo, is it B.B. King? It's like B.B. King, John Mayer, Slash, and... Uh, Tedeschi trucks on stage 
and they're like okay take a solo Derek and he just does this thing and it BB King's like that's the best guitar solo I've ever heard and it's incredible it's like yeah. two minutes long it's it's fantastic uh, stop what you're doing turn this off come back uh, <laughs> But anyway, Chris O'Neill, uh, Kingfish, he, I remember, I, I saw this kid on Instagram, and uh, like, I think last year, and I was like, he was just him in a sound check, and he was shredding, and this is from like a couple of years back, the clip is, is you know, it, it's a bit old now, yeah. and he's basically come out and said that, you know, it's really, really not about playing fast, which I think is something that Bonamassa really kind of relies on. Mm-hmm. It's those really fast pentatonic licks. And like, I'm very much impressed by fast blues when it's done right, like Eric Johnson. Yeah. But I think there's a quote about Kingfish, which is basically like, he, he, it's like he's singing through the guitar. Like he, he kind of slows it down now in his modern playing uh, he put out an album last year called wow. kingfish it won loads of awards and he just he just it, it, there's just this feel it's this real kind of authentic southern feel that comes through like every note the guy plays and i think he's rapping for fender now he did some fender promos he did the um put a spell on you and the thrill is gone yeah and fender promos and oh it's it's incredible and then yeah i mean like he, him and josh smith are my two go-to blues guys these days i mean i i love jack white but for a different reason i i, I like jack white as like a kind of a riff guy and a songwriter and like a you know what he does with the white stripes i really like mm-hmm. that and that was really important to me starting off playing guitar because it was very accessible but when it comes to like pure modern blues uh yeah kingfish and uh josh smith are my guys yeah um Monster. But yeah, I mean, now, are you are you familiar with uh, Gary Clark Jr.? Okay, this is an interesting one. Joe yeah. Rogan's favorite musician ever. Oh, uh, good times. <laughs> yeah, he was on. I didn't like, know that. Yeah, so Joe Rogan talks about him all the time on his podcast, and he had him on his podcast recently. And he's he's kind of a man of few words, which I I, I respect. Like he's very much he does not believe his own hype at all. Um, That's cool. And yeah, I came across Gary Clark Jr. at the is it the. I think it was the Crossroads Festival. He had this clip up. About yes. Uh, is that the a, one with the, what's the name of that song? Bright Lights. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's that one. Um, that, that blew me away. I was like, that's a great performance. And I, I really, I, I do like him as a player, but I, I just think a lot of it, it, the stuff that he kind of is known for is, it's been done before. It's very well mm-hmm. done, but it's been done before. I don't think he's really doing anything new. And I really liked listening to his live performances, but at the same time, it's kind of that Bonamassa thing where there's a lot squeezed into what could be paired back a lot. Yeah. Um, I like, I I do actually like his singing and his playing. He's a a very good singer. Yeah. You get a lot of, I think there's, you definitely get those hints of Hendrix in there. Um, But at the same time, I, I don't know. I find him very expressive at times and other times very showy. And so it's kind of, it, I, I sort of have mixed feelings on him. I think he's a great musician. Um, in and terms he's of, the most handsome man on the planet. Oh, seriously. <laughs> With that hat too. I know. So. Getting the vapors. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, he's kind of like, in terms of like, what does a modern kind of rock, cool rock star look like? It's him. He, he is yeah. the poster boy for that. But in terms of as a player, I think that he might be a little bit overrated. But he has the signature Epiphone that is just beautiful. And I know that I couldn't rock it as well. You know, no one can make it look as good as he does. But it's just like he does have a like 
him with the hollow body, big red, I think it's a casino from that performance. I was like, God, this guy is, he's, he's, he's kind of the real deal in terms of like really as a, as a, as a songwriter and a singer and as a player, but like as a player alone, there are better guys out there. Yeah. What, so here's a question for you then too. So if someone wants to get started into the blues, where would you recommend they start? Not necessarily listening, but like playing. What are, what's kind of your take on that? Cause first off, like you said, there's so many different, types of blues so when someone says the blues i think there is an element of figuring out like okay what do you mean by that and then secondly you know what uh where do you where do you start so from a from a playing point of view that's interesting like the um that you're asking me i was gonna ask you oh okay well i'll i'll answer as well (laughs) cool well in my opinion i think you got to start learning um I, i think one of the big things i took away from the, the the Justin guitar video lessons was just knowing your 12 bar blues and essentially knowing what shapes go where mm-hmm. and in terms of like the difference between a like you can learn the blues scale if you want but I don't know if there's we've talked about the blues scale before in terms of like how necessary is it to know you know can you just do you, you just need to know what notes to bend or what notes to go to or whatever mm-hmm. um but yeah, it's it, it, it's a tough one to say in terms of like where to start. I would say learn, I'd say just kind of, that's a really good question. I wouldn't even know where to start to, in terms of recommending it. Like I, I could think of a number of songs that I'd recommend, but in terms of like techniques and stuff, I suppose some of the, the, the beauty of some of the older blues stuff is that it's quite slow. Mm-hmm. So that if you were to develop your ear, you know, it would be a good thing to kind of, you could sit down and rather than all this lightning fast stuff, the, the fundamentals, you know, you can kind of sum up in a few moves or a few different kind of chord progressions. But yeah, I'm kind of just waffling here and um, by my own admission, what would you say? Um, well, I would be curious, what would be some of the songs and we can get to that, that you would, you would recommend to start with. I feel like some of the easiest things to do, in starting somebody with the blues would probably be talk about the form and the variations on that form. So for example, if you're playing 12 bar blues in a, you can show an a major or minor, you know, take your pick pentatonic scale. And I I think as long as you keep the chords as simple major or minor chords, Mm -hmm. that's where you're safe and you can start introducing these ideas. As soon as you start getting into sevenths, that's where, like we're talking about, you really need to consider what chords you're playing over a whole lot more. Um, I also think what's interesting about those forms is it gives you a good context to start to learn phrasing. Because the chords change and you know when they're going to change, you have to anticipate those changes and you kind of have to know where your arpeggios fall. So if you're playing in A, let's say minor, understanding that A, C, and E are going to be on your one chord, and then D, F, A on your four chord, and and then E, G, B on your five chord, and know when those happen and how to hit those notes, even though you're playing your pentatonic scale, right? So um, obviously that B is not going to be in that minor pentatonic scale, but you can still put it in there, speaking of notes that you can use right um 
So usually what I would do is I would probably start somebody with the simple one, four, five, like let's look at the idea of what that even means. And so that you understand how that works and then you understand the form and then we can put a scale over it. The pentatonic scale is a great teaching tool. And so if you don't already know a version of it, that's really where a lot of these licks come from. And then they branch out. They include the extra chord tones. They include outside chord tones in order to kind of add that expression. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about with a blues scale, you know, that sharp four. Um, so, but I wouldn't get too bogged down and necessarily like thinking about all the different scales so much as like get the chord forms and then get just a basic pentatonic shape or two in order to start playing over those chord forms. Get a loop pedal. We've said it so many times on this. Yes. You know, or some recording software. Record yourself playing that form. And it's harder than you think at first. It's hard to kind of keep up a steady rhythm. Find a good rhythm and even just kind of, if it's just two notes, dum, da-dum, da-dum, and play through those rhythms. And then from there, you can start building on it. Now, blues is not my specialty necessarily, but this is usually when someone says, hey, I want to start with blues. I say, okay, this is a good place to start. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the techniques that go into it. Bends. Um, yes. You know, your bends, your slides. Again, I don't like don't come to me for slide guitar. That is not a thing I, I even dabble in. Uh, <laughs> please don't. Um, and, and little things like pick mutes, you know, that's such a big thing. Pick mutes, vibrato, all of this stuff is really what differentiates somebody like BB King from, you know, John Lee Hooker. Those, those two players are very different sounding players. And some of it is, the nature of what they play and when they play it and the little techniques that they use, whether it's the, their bends, their vibrato. BB King has such a distinctive vibrato, yes. you know, really pay attention to their different vibrato styles. And that'll give you an idea of where you want to go with your own expression in using those techniques and using the bends and using the double stops. So all that stuff, but that's kind of long winded. Start with, Start with the, the chord forms, you know, start with a 12 bar blues or an eight bar blues mm. and just a minor pentatonic scale and then start playing around with bends, slides, all that fun stuff. That was, it could, could have put it better. Really could have saved me waffling on there. For is, <laughs> is, as far as songs go though, like what is it that you would recommend? Um, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, like there, I, I love the Thrillers Gone, like the original mm -hmm. uh, B.B. King song. I, I think that if you're, See, you know, you can always go back to the kind of the slower stuff if you're if you're looking if you're a beginner. I think like the slower the better. Um, I think that you know there you don't want to go too fast too too soon. Um, but I mean the the first blues album, real blues album I heard was uh, Stevie Stevie Ray Con blah, blah, blah. Stevie Ray Vaughan and uh, Albert King, which is like a mm. session they did. I think it's I think it's like for MTV or something, but back in the eighties. And it's, if you listen to it, it is literally Stevie Ray Vaughan in one headphone and Albert King in the other. And Stevie Ray Vaughan is just like taking him to school just in terms of like, but then again, it's like he's playing with one of his biggest influences. So yeah. it's, it's really neat to listen to and they're kind of swapping stories in between the songs. So I remember picking up, like, I remember really, really wanting to learn Pride and Joy in that. Mm. And I think one of the big things in that song that I really got was the kind of the string muting. He has this wrist rotation movement that he does in terms of getting that 
dun, 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 dun. It's like yep. the chug. And I thought that that was really interesting to learn because you have to figure out there's a lot going on in the fretting hand between <clears throat> the actual chord stabs. And that was really, really, I, I suppose it opened my eyes a lot too in terms of what you can do with one instrument. And I think Rory Gallagher, if you're learning acoustic blues, Rory Gallagher is the way to go. He does stuff in Dagad. He does stuff in standard tuning. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he is just my, my guy. And if you're looking for an album, uh, the Irish tour is, is, is so great. I think it's one of the best blues albums ever. Uh, yeah. So I, I suppose we've touched, <laughs> we've touched on a lot here. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you mentioned Pride and Joy, too, because that is it's a great way to look at a different way to play a 12 bar blues. Yes, because it is a 12 bar blues. It's an E. It's E, A and B um, sevens. Yeah. So but what's interesting about it is how he does that. It's not like a standard bar chord or a power chord um, and just the way he kind of plays around with the different chord voicings and adds his little flair to it. So if, if you're looking at kind of, if you're familiar with a basic 12 bar blues, pride and joy is a really good next step in order to kind of build, build on that and get an idea of what you can do around the fretboard with it. So. Absolutely. Cool. So I think we've touched on a lot here. Um, so yeah, I've, I've, friends, are you learning the blues or what do you want to learn? Would you have any tips for anybody learning the blues? Let us know. And um, we are on, all the different uh, social medias and sharpenthatx at gmail.com. But until then, John, what have you been working on? Or have you been working on anything Ooh, at all? I know you moved house Yeah, recently. yes. So did move house, finally kind of getting back into things. Um, having not really worked on my technique in a couple of weeks and having some people come in with stuff and be, or months, let's be honest, um, <laughs> I was feeling like, man, I am, I am slow and a little pedantic with stuff and it's not, it's not clicking. So uh, my synchronization is off. So dear friends, let that be a lesson. If you do nothing else, spend some time working on your synchronization, like those little four finger exercises. If that's all you have time for in a day, it will pay off with everything else. So do work on that, your left, right hand synchronization. So I've been picking that up and I just recently found um, a, there's a Facebook group of people who just post transcriptions of Django solos. So yeah, definitely worth checking out. Um, So that's, that's been kind of fun to, to at least like really all I'm doing is stealing a lick here or there. I'm not learning a whole solo because I don't really have time to do that at the moment. I hate to admit it, but that's, that's kind of where, where I've been with that. It's been fun though. So it's, it's good to, you know, when you go through a season of just life is crazy to finally sit down and pick up and start learning again. It's yes, it's therapy. We'll put it that way. So, <laughs> and, that myself. yeah. So, anyway, yourself, you. I mean, you just got back from holidays. So, yeah. Yes. How have you been? How have you been doing? And uh, and I mean, you did a you did a single release recently, didn't you? And so it's been it's been busy. Oh yeah, no, I recorded a few live videos. Um, one of which has been released uh, on. Line. so that was that was fun if you can check it out on my instagram um yeah it, it was good i i also played a gig for the first time in ages uh not too long ago in this big open air tent that they've set up in uh, just outside of galway city which was a lot of fun but uh, oh, great 
so, so rusty. <laughs> live music, man. That's fantastic. Yeah, I know. Who knows when the next one will be? But it was it was a lot of fun. And yeah, I, I, so what? I haven't really had a chance to sit down with the guitar since I, I I went off on my little trip around the west of Ireland. But now I'm back. And the first thing I did when I sat down was like I didn't know what to learn. So I basically made this list of songs or solos that I'd wanted to learn, and I started uh, transcribing to the best of my ability the prince's solo from the george harrison tribute um you know, the, oh my uh, gosh that's is, such a great solo yes it's such a great solo because it's it's very much segmented in terms of like the parts like he doesn't do the same thing for the for more than four bars so you can very much break it down and you forget how good he is man his phrasing is unreal he's just really melodic he knows exactly what to play at the right moment uh, yeah, I, I really have enjoyed kind of listening to that a bunch. I never get tired of it, ever. It's just such a great performance. And then at the end, he throws the guitar into the air and nobody knows where it goes. You just right, it just goes off into <laughs> into the rafters. It just ascended into heaven after that. That's it. Um, so so I want to see you learn it and I want to on a telly and do the same thing on Instagram. <laughs> just have like a hook above yeah. the camera. That's, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I have a few plans in terms of uh, just just kind of what I kind of want to focus on now, um, just in terms of like time being tight and what I can do. But we we talked before about you know you should like you know make practicing like a kind of a, a routine and a habit, and we all fall off track. I've also talked about before like you know if you want to get serious, you know you got to turn off all the screens and you know just you and a guitar and a metronome and your your pieces you want to learn. I've kind of come to the conclusion that 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 doesn't really work for me right now. If I've got an hour to myself, like in front of the TV and it's eight o'clock at night, I'm not gonna, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to watch something while playing guitar. I'm going to make it fun. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make it a chore. So that's, yeah. that's been a big thing for me. Maybe when I have some time at the weekends, I will like set aside an hour for like real practice practice. But if I've, you know, if I've, if time is of the essence, I'm going to make it fun. There's a, I think there's a balance to be struck there. And I tell that to students too. I do think, I think there is a time and place for really focusing in on stuff. Um, anymore, though, I've got a lot of a lot of the stuff I'm learning is on a computer, you know. So it's, yeah. it's easy to get distracted. So it does require a little bit more intentional focus, and sometimes maybe printing stuff out. But I, you know, if if you need to unwind, just put your hands on the instrument, man. Like that's it. And I've found that too recently. Like it's been it's been good to have a dedicated thirty or forty minutes of practice. Uh, which is not much, but life has been busy. But then I'm able to sort of sit down and pick up a guitar and noodle, (laughs) quote unquote. You know, um, I did tell a student yesterday, be careful about noodling mindlessly. You know, that's... Noodle mindfully. Yes, noodle mindfully. In other words, if if you play something and you're aware of what you're playing and you're aware of its musical context, or you can create a musical context for it. I think that's, I think that's mindful noodling. So what a beautiful thought. To end that, that needs to, that needs to be the title of our ebook, mindful noodling. <laughs> um, also, just I'm going to throw this out there for, because we don't really do the, what we've been listening to section anymore, because it's just like, it's kind of superfluous, but there is a documentary on Netflix, which I've really enjoyed watching, which is, uh, it's called that little old band from Texas. It's about the ZZ top story. Oh, wild. It, it features like live performances, but it also talks about how they get their sound in the studio. 
and uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. So. It's just that quarter or that peso, right? It's the peso that Billy Gibbons plays with. That's it. That's all you need. That, that's all you need. There you go. <laughs> don't, don't even need a beard. Um, but yeah, highly recommend that. Um, cool. So we will we will call it a day for that. But uh, tone Frank, is in the beard. Listen. It's not in the fingers. That's it. In the sunglasses. Sorry, sunglasses. I cut you off. <laughs> That's right, friends. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and we are getting our Patreon uh, slowly off the ground. So if you want to look us up there, we have some little bits there, and we'll be back hopefully next week or the week after with a mini episode, um, probably talking more about picking because that's what we've been talking of, uh, talking about of late. And yeah, until next time, John, have you anything to add? I don't think so. So no, yeah. Neither do I. Stay sharp, friends. We'll see you next time.